Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. Father, hear our prayers right now. Thank you very much for the indwelling Holy Spirit. Thank you very much for your written word. I pray right now for these next few minutes together. Focus us in. Help us to be all here. Lord, would you take your word, which is living and active, and would you illuminate it? Would you personalize it? Would you apply it to our own hearts right now in the unique ways we need, where we need to be convicted or encouraged or lifted up, whatever it may be? Father, you, you know the needs of our heart even better than we know our own needs. And so we are asking that you would draw near, that you would humble us, uh, that you would exalt us in the, in the proper ways and times for your glory. Make us into the men and the leaders that you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, guys, today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 131. So Psalm 131, it's one of my favorites. It's one of the shortest. You want to memorize a psalm, this is a great one to do because it is so short. Um... So, and we don't know for sure when David wrote this psalm, but it's highly likely that he wrote it uh, during the time that he was being persecuted by Saul. May have also come uh, during the time when he was persecuted by Absalom, but seems a little bit more likely it was maybe done when he was uh, running from King Saul. Okay, so just three quick points today, humble, happy, and hopeful. And so uh, three points, three verses, let's dive in. Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. So David's saying, God, I'm not perfect, but as best I understand and know my own heart, I feel like I really have a humble heart as I come before you. And you may may say, what's the litmus test? How did he know? that he had a humble heart. Well, he tells us, he says, I don't try to get involved in issues that are above my pay grade, so to speak. Now, let's pause and try to put ourselves into David's shoes. Uh, He, even if this is very early in his life, he's already been anointed to be the king of Israel, uh, to be the king over God's chosen people. So it's very easy to say that he was one of, if not the greatest men uh, living in that day and age. You know, maybe you could make an argument, well, maybe Samuel was more godly as the prophet and he's writing books of Scripture. But David, even in some sense, uh, was was a prophet. I mean, he wrote much of Scripture in the Psalms. And so, and he's going to be the king. And, and we know that he ends up becoming kind of the gold standard for all kings in the Old Testament. So he's this great and godly man. But part of what David is saying is, even for me, in this very high-ranking position and all these privileges that God has given me, there are still some things that are above my pay grade. Uh, and, and, and what primarily is he talking about? And it's almost certainly this. Uh, when is God going to work out his purposes for me? And number two, why is God putting me through the ringer, so to speak? I want you to just think about for a second. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to share with the class or anything. But I want you to think about the hardest thing you've ever been through in your life. And when you were in the midst of that, my guess is there were probably a lot of questions that you had that you would have liked to ask God, right? Have you ever said something like this, whether out loud or to yourself? You know, when I get to heaven, this is going to be one of the first things that God 
I ask God. Or maybe you say it like this, um, you know, uh, if God is still doing the whole audible voice thing, I'd like to cash on it this, this one time. I'd like to ask this question, and I'd like to get a really clear answer. And typically, those questions that we ask ourselves, they usually have something to do with two words that start with a W, why and when. Why are you doing this to me, God? Or why aren't you answering my prayers more quickly? Or why am I having to suffer this? Or why am, are people that I care about, why are they having to go through these hard situations? We ask a lot of why questions. The second thing that we tend to do is we want to know when, okay? When is it going to be over? How long is it going to last? When are you going to bring relief? When are you going to finally answer my prayer in the specific way that I've been wanting you to answer it? Now, this is important, guys. It is not wrong to ask those kind of questions. It's not sin to ask, why are you doing this, God? It's not wrong to say, when is it going to be over? Okay, Keep your finger right here in Psalm 131. <clears throat> We're coming right back. But flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 26. And this is just one example of David. You see him kind of doing this. Okay, This is 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 10. David also said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him, or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. Now, what, what do we see David doing here? This was one of the times when some of David's own men wanted to kill Saul, or they wanted David to, and they felt like, man, this is the perfect opportunity. And David said, no, I'm not going to take justice in my own hands. I'm going to trust the Lord. And what you see David doing in 1 Samuel 26.10 is it's like he's working it through in his mind. He's saying, I know God has a good plan. I know that one day Saul will be gone and I will be the king. Now, when is that going to happen? I don't know. How is that going to happen? I don't know. It might happen that Saul just falls down dead one day. Maybe he'll go into battle and he'll get killed. He, he's trying to figure it out. And that's not sin to do that, to try to figure out how might God bring this to an end? How might God work good things through this? But it's not sin to want to know. It's not sin to ask. It's not sin to wrestle. It's not sin to wonder, to pray, to think, to speculate even. But it can turn into sin. How does it turn into sin? This is where we need to be careful. The first way that it can turn into sin is when we act as though we have a right to know. When we basically demand. I demand to know. I deserve to know. This deserving heart. Okay, really, I mean, it's not wrong to ask why and when questions. But when do why and when questions become sinful? When you either have a deserving or a demanding mentality. A deserving mentality. Well, God God knows why, and I'm one of his people, so I ought to know. I mean, this seems to be, in some sense, a little bit of what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. There is some greater knowledge that God seems to have, and even this snake seems to have some knowledge that we don't have. Well, if this extra knowledge didn't by golly, we deserve to have it, and I'm just going to go out there and get it. So when you have a deserving mentality or demanding mentality, that's when you're in trouble. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Just listen to this passage. You've probably heard it before, okay? Uh, but it's a helpful one to remember in this context. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. <clears throat> the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. Listen, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us all the truth that we need to live a faithful life? Are there more things we would like to know that we think would help us? Yes. But we don't have to know those things, those secret things. They belong to him. And we should humbly say like David, I don't concern myself with things 
too high, too holy, too lofty for me. Okay, there's a famous poem. Some of you may have heard of it. I know we're not big poets uh, on this Zoom call, okay? But it's called The Charge of the Light Brigade uh, by Alfred Lord Tennyson. And it's about a charge that was made in a battle, <clears throat> I think back in the 1800s in the Crimea, uh, between uh, the British troops, and they keep charging uh, the cavalry going in, and they just keep getting slaughtered. And he has this line that's kind of become famous. He says, talking about the troops, not the commanders, not the generals, but just the, the everyday troops riding their horse into battle and getting slaughtered. And it says, theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. A good soldier, in a sense, says, my job is not in planning. My job is in execution, is carrying it out. Now, that only, though, works when I trust the heart of my commander. He's a good commander. He's a wise commander. And David seems very content to suffer faithfully, just to obey where he was in that time. Am I that content? Are we that humble? That when God puts us in trying circumstances, we pray, we wrestle, but at the end of the day, we say, I trust you, God. Okay? He's humble, the second point. He's happy. Look at verse hey, 2. Hey, yeah, Joey. Just... Just we do have a we do have a poet on the call. So okay, who is the you know, you Miles, know Miles, Miles? Miles is a poet. That's that's true. I'm I'm sorry, Miles. No offense, there, brother. I'm not a poet. All right. Oh, wow. So that was his uh, his Instagram was Miles the poet. So okay, just wanted to clarify. I, I appreciate you clarifying that, Joey. Uh, you know, I, I need to know my audience better. So um, very helpful. <laughs> so David's a poet. So you're in good company, Miles. All right. So. Here's the second line of his poetry, verse 2. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. Okay, now, uh, this, this second verse gives us a really wonderful image. Part of what David is saying is, listen, true spiritual happiness, being, being joyful in God, doesn't typically come naturally. We have to work at it. We have to go after it. I mean, do you notice what David said? He said, I have composed and quieted my soul. This reminds me of uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous book, um, Spiritual Depressions, famous chapter on Psalm 42. And he talks about most of our problem in life is because we spend too much time listening to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. And he literally he's, he uses Psalm 42, verse 5, where the psalmist says, why are thou downcast, O my soul? You will hope in God again. And he literally says, it's like you got to take yourself by the scruff of the neck, hold yourself, and speak truth to yourself. Trust God. Hope in God. Don't doubt. Calm down. It's going to be okay. Now, um, <clears throat> the image here, like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. Now, let's just think about this for a second. Um, I know... Uh, we did have some poets. I was wrong about that. We don't have any nursing mothers on this call that I know of, all right? Uh, but all of us at some point have seen probably a little baby that's still a nursing child, and it's young. And when he gets hungry, it cries, it screams, it's demanding. And even if the mom picks it up, and maybe the mom's in a public place and she's not planning on feeding the baby right now. She's planning on picking the baby up and walking to another room. It's almost like as soon as she picks the baby up and gets the baby close to her, the little baby's head starts bobbing around looking for something to eat. It's the very picture of desperation, demand. I want something to eat and I want it right now. Okay? Now, 
that's oftentimes how we can feel when we're going through something hard. Maybe, maybe hypothetically, somebody's in a really hard marriage. And part of what you can start to feel is almost this panic. Like, why has God done this to me? Why has God put me in such a hard situation? Why does it seem like it never gets better? Why is God so slow to bring relief? Why is God not showing up and answering in the way that I want Him to? And guys, there's just a massive level of self-centeredness going on in our hearts when this happens. And we have to be humble and aware, I don't have a right to demand these answers from God. It's okay to ask them humbly, but not arrogantly. Listen, immature Christians, they don't really love God that much. (laughs) They really love God's good gifts. Now, they may fool themselves into thinking, you know, I love God, but really what's going on is I like all God's stuff. And as long as God keeps giving me good stuff and blessing me in a way that I experience His blessing and interpret His blessing then I'll keep kind of obeying and praising him and all that. But when the gifts, when the spigot gets turned off, so to speak, and the good gifts slow down to a tiny trickle, we can get angry and we can become like a petulant, complaining child. St. Augustine had this great image where he said, listen, and he was trying to talk about sinful depravity, how we're all born dead in our sins. But part of what he said is, if an infant had the strength it would literally reach up and grasp its mother around the neck and choke the mother and demand, feed me right now. Okay? Try again to put ourselves in David's shoes. God has already blessed him a ton. He's given him all these great mighty promises, but then he's making him wait. I mean, in some sense, this sounds like modern-day Christians in a lot of ways. God has given us incredible promises. One day we're going to sit on a throne in heaven, live in a mansion with Jesus in heaven. It doesn't get much better than that. Well, when do I get to go there? Uh, I don't know. It could be decades. you got a long time. you just got to be patient. you got to wait. Think about David. I know I'm going to be king. I know I'm going to have a dynasty, but I don't know when. And the when question, guys, can drive us crazy. I mean, think about it in a campus ministry perspective. You've been sharing the gospel with maybe a dozen different guys. Nobody's prayed to receive Christ. Why, God? What am I doing wrong? Why can't I see some fruit? When's this going to happen? Not wrong to wrestle with those questions. It is wrong when the desire turns into a demand. Okay. Now, we want to become like a wean child. A wean child is a mature child. A wean child is a child that's now eating table food, so to speak. So now, the wean child looks at mom, and mom is not just the milk truck. right? Mom is not just the source of gifts. Mom can be enjoyed more as just a person that I love, that I care about, that I like, that I adore. But how does this happen? You have to go through a weaning process. Now, I've asked this a couple of times to put ourselves in the mind of David. That can be hard enough. This one's going to be even harder. I mean, try to put yourself back into the mind of a little infant that up until this point, every single meal that you have ever eaten since you came out of the birth canal has been with your mom, nursing at her breast. And then she starts to withhold that. She starts to try to feed you in a different way. And at first, you don't like it. You're not used to the texture of the food or whatever it is. And when she holds you, she doesn't feed you in the same way anymore. I mean, there would be something almost, you know, tearing, rending. Why is mom doing this? Why is mom treating me so harshly? Why is mom almost punishing me? I mean, I know the child doesn't necessarily think this way, but almost at a subconscious level, that's what it would feel like. This sense of desperation. 
But really, what is mom trying to do? Mom's trying to help me mature. Mom's trying to help me progress in life to a higher level of maturity. And part of what that means is she takes away some of the old gifts that used to be good for me, but she's preparing me for greater gifts. So guys, I, I don't know, you know, what we're all going through as we listen to this, but I know this. Part of what can be one of the hardest things in life is when there has been a season in our life when God is blessing us in a certain way, and, and it's a good way. I mean, a mother's milk in the right season is a wonderful blessing. But then God decides, I'm taking this good blessing out of your life. And listen, if we really believe what the Bible says about the character of Father God, we've got to believe the only reason that God ever takes away a good blessing out of our life is to bless us with something better in a different way in a different time. But that's a huge step of faith. I mean, this is moving from living by sight to living by faith. Okay. Um, it's moving from just trusting the gift right in front of me to trusting the heart of the giver even when I can't see any gifts. And again, one of the blessings is a child that has not been weaned yet in some sense can't really deeply enjoy just the presence of the mother because it only thinks of the mother as a source of food. But then a weaned child has a more mature perspective. I can look at my mom, and for us, we can look at God, and we can enjoy him. Yes, he's still the one giving us good gifts, but it's much more than that. We can just enjoy him, even when he's pruning us, even when he's hurting us, even when he's intentionally taking gifts away. We can say, I still enjoy you. I still worship you. I still delight in you. Okay, now, I want you to just ask yourself this question. What does it take in life to disturb your peace in God? Or another way to ask the same question, how fragile is your hope? I mean, some of us, we can just let a five-minute traffic delay put us in a terrible mood. One little tiny fight with a friend or a roommate or a fiancé. It doesn't have to be a fight, right? It could just be a two-minute conversation that wasn't warm and fuzzy. And we can kind of start to experience some anxiety. That shows the fragility of our real confidence in God. We're still living more like an infant and not enough like a weaned child. Life circumstances should never be able to send us into a downward spiral of panic, desperation, demand, deserving mentality. Why? Verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Why? Because we should remain hopeful, confident, looking towards the future. I might suffer in the short run, but in the long run, everything's going to be okay. Listen, in some sense, it's easy to walk with God when everything is great and the sun is shining on our backs, so to speak. But when the world feels like it's falling apart around us, at least our personal world, it can get really hard to stay in a place of peace, calm, trust, confidence. It's a training process. We have to learn to wean ourselves off of the immediate gratification of God's good gifts and say, I so trust you even if you take everything away. You know, even the famous verse in Job where he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if God kills me, I'm going to still trust him. Now, if we don't take this route to maturity, we get fixated on getting answers. We're consumed, we're demanding, we're fretting, we're paralyzed with fear, which is where Saul ended his life. 
terrified lying on the floor of a witch's house. He'd gone there to demand answers. He got the answer, won the answer he wanted, and he ended really terrible. So here's kind of the, the key under the key, so to speak, of this, guys, is this. I've got to look for my true fulfillment, my true lasting joy. It's not going to fully come in this life. It's going to come in the next life. One thought that has helped me immensely, especially when I can call it to mind in times of temptation, is this. Even Adam and Eve, when they were in the Garden of Eden, in a place of paradise, even there, they experienced some situations where they felt like they lacked something. If they felt like they lacked something in the Garden of Eden, how much more am I, as a sinner, living in a sinful, fallen, broken world, going to often feel like I lack something? I need to just get used to it. Embrace the pain. Here's another thought that I had. And actually, I had this thought one day as I was reading through the Psalms. You know, that's part of what I'm wanting y'all to learn to do in this class. Read a Psalm every day. Pray a Psalm every day. Journal a Psalm every day. Make it your own. Take the truth of God's Scripture and drill it down deep into your heart through thinking about how it personally works in your life. And so I think I was in Psalm 31. And here was kind of the thought that I walked away with. All of life is pain. You're like, thanks, Owen. That sounds really depressing, but just stick with me. There's, there's really two different kinds of pain in this life, and, I'll, and you get to choose which pain. There is the pain of God disciplining you, God pruning you, God refining you, God redeeming you, God growing you up, God maturing you. There's that kind of pain. Or there's the pain of disobedience. And the pain of disobedience is a destructive pain. When I go out and intentionally, willfully choose sin, that will bring some painful consequences in my life and there will be a destructive element to them. But when I can choose to submit to God's plan for me, even when it hurts, that's a redemptive type of pain. It's a growing type of pain. It's a disciplining, pruning, refining type of pain. And so you're not going to get away from pain in this life. Part of maturity is the wisdom to choose the best kind of pain, which is the pain of obedience. Okay? Now, if I really believe I'm going to heaven when I die because of what Christ has done for me, all gifts will be mine there. I will let, I mean, nobody's going to get to heaven and look around and say, ah, this is pretty nice, but, you know, it could have been better. We, we are going to be awestruck with how great it is. Then we can live the type of life that David lived and the Apostle Paul lived. Flip over to uh, Philippians chapter 4 for just a minute. And again, if you're not able to flip there right now, it's, it's a super famous passage. You're going to be very familiar with it. But this is the New Testament version of Paul saying essentially the same thing. Philippians chapter 4. Remember, he's writing this letter from a prison. And oh, by the way, if you do kind of a study the whole book of Philippians and you try to pull out one theme, probably the one theme is Paul just talking about joy. And he's encouraging the church at Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. The guy in the dungeon, that's what he's telling them to do. Maybe not in the dungeon. He was in a prison though, okay? Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. See, it was a learning process, a weaning process for David and for Paul and for me and you. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
that's the context of that famous verse, you know, that we love to put on FCA t-shirts, you know, a picture of a running back. I can be the greatest running back through Christ who strengthens me. Well, maybe if that's what the Lord wants you to be. But the context is Paul saying, listen, it doesn't matter if I got plenty of money in my pocket and I'm eating steak dinners. I can be content in Christ there. But if I am in a dungeon, chained to a Roman soldier, being beaten, being tortured, no money, no food, starving, shipwrecked, whatever, I can be content there because I'm not immature. And my joy in the Lord is not attached to a present, immediate experience of His gifts, although I really like that. My joy in the Lord is connected to the deeper hope of what's coming in the long run. And then I'm so content, I'm so humble, I'm so happy, I'm so hopeful, because in a sense, I'm already experiencing the heart of God, His character, His beauty, the lovely nature of just who He is. Even when God is stripping gifts away from me, it can seem like He's killing me at times, when it's like, I feel like I was dependent on that gift, God. But I trust your heart, because I know where you're taking me. So, here's the application, guys. Even when you're going through the hardest season of your life, even when it seems like God's trying to kill you, even when it seems like he's stripping away all your gifts, you stay happy. You can ask for more, you don't demand more. You can wonder why, but you don't feel like you deserve it. You're not a petulant child. If God has you maybe right now, maybe with a a relationship problem, maybe some physical pain, some type of disease or suffering, you're going, whatever it is, A job situation that's frustrating. It's a waiting game. It's the best for you right now. That's what he's ordained. Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. You trust him. You believe that. And listen, some of us at this point may say, I'm so new to the faith, I don't necessarily have all these uh, historical experience of God turning bad things into the good for me. So it's hard for me to take that on faith. I understand. But that's when you've got to look back at biblical examples of men like Paul, men like David. One commentator I looked at, he brought up the example of Isaac. You know, we don't know for sure how old Isaac was when Abraham took him to sacrifice him. But he was probably a teenager. He may have even been in his 20s. The point is, he was old enough to fight back, to push his old man dad off. And yet Isaac willingly said, if this is what God wants, I will lay down on the altar like a weaned child. I'm not going to fight and press back and say, why are you doing this to me? I'm going to move forward in faith. And the greater, better example is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And guys, I want you to think about the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity in the Garden of Eden. Isn't there another way? There's got to be another way. Why are we doing it this way? And then on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At some level, how long is this going to last? How long am I going to be hung out to dry out here all by myself, abandoned, forsaken? This doesn't seem right. This can't be best. Now listen, he knew all the answers theologically at a pristine, perfect level that we're not going to attain in this life. But part of what I'm trying to show us, guys, is you can have a pristine doctrine and emotionally the pain of suffering at times can almost like short-circuit your mind. And obviously, Christ never sinned with doubt. Christ never sinned with a demanding attitude. But in his humanity, he certainly wrestled with the pain of, I don't like this. 
asking the question why almost when he already knew why. And we're going to wrestle with those same type of things. But the best thing that we can do is we can stare at him and his sacrifice and the way that he lived by faith. I mean, he literally experienced hell for us. That He literally took the greatest hardship on himself so that when we feel like we're going through a season in life and God is taking away good things and he's giving us hard things, we can say, this might be hard, this might be painful, this might even be bad and suffering, but it'll never be the worst thing. I mean, in some sense, what was Christ experiencing hell? Hell was like the ultimate confusion dumped onto him. He took the hell that all of us deserve for all of our lack of faith, our lack of trust, our grumbling, our complaining, our demanding, deserving mentality. I mean, if there was one man that could say, I don't deserve this. I deserve peace. I deserve quiet. I deserve immediate salvation, gratification, deliverance. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. But he willingly chose to lay down that deserving that he had. He didn't grasp onto his equality with God. He laid it aside. And part of what we're supposed to do is look at him, be in awe of him, worship him. And then when we're tempted to reach out and grasp God's gifts, reach out and grasp an answer, demand an answer, say, I'm not going to do it. If he didn't do it, I'm not going to do it either. We've got to set the eyes of our faith on Christ afresh on a daily basis, guys, so that in some sense, his confidence his calmness can seep from him into our hearts and it can transform us. Okay, Because the most important question that we all have is, does God really care? Does God really love me? It's already been answered. And it's been signed in the blood of his son. It's as clear as day. Okay? Jeremiah Burroughs, this Puritan guy, wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. One quick quote. He says, You worship God more by contentment then when you come to hear a sermon or other spiritual duties, contentment is the soul's worship. We do well worship God by being pleased with what God does. And what he's saying is, in one sense, the best way you can worship God is that whatever you're going through, you trust him so much that you say, I'm content. It's well with my soul. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> we know these truths. They're much harder to live out. Give us grace, give us maturity, make us into the men and leaders you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org.